Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. In his memoir, Recollections of the Civil War, Union General John Gibbon wrote, The war is over, but the fighting has just begun. For many of the generals who fought one another on the battlefields of 1861 to 1865, the fighting continued with the pen for the next 50 years. We'll find out what they wrote about one another from Robert Girardi, author of The Civil War Generals, Comrades, Peers, Rivals, In Their Own Words, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you as usual from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina, part of the University of North Carolina system, one university, 17 campuses, but not speaking for any of those campuses, including ECU, just for myself, and likewise our guests will do the same, as we always do, here on Civil War Talk Radio, where, uh, as I reported last month, it turns out folks are listening. We have more people clicking on the shows and downloading and listening than to any other program on World Talk Radio. So, we'll keep it that way. Glad you could join us again this week. In other good external news, before we get back to 1861, the ECU History Department went through its seven-year external review. We wrote a long 
report about ourselves, gave it to some professors from other schools who came down and visited, and just yesterday got back their written report, and I'm happy to say they thought we're doing all right. They liked a lot of the things they saw. They enjoyed visiting the Civil War class that I teach and thought the students presented themselves well. That was good, uh, gratifying that we have some good history majors here and they showed themselves well. So it was overall good news. They pointed out things we can do better, of course. Uh, that's, that's what the review is for, but it was in general gratifying to see that among our peers, at least the department at East Carolina University is recognized uh, as a reasonably good one, which I, I modestly think uh, it really is. But to keep the balance in the universe uh, between good and bad news, we uh, had a committee several years ago review every department at East Carolina University, and after careful consideration, the 13 members or so of the committee reported back, and each department which had a representative on the committee turned out to be uh, a good department, and each department which didn't have anyone happen to be on the committee and that would include history, turned out to be a department in need of uh, cut resources and reduced appointments and all kinds of punishments, and uh, the flogging would continue until morale improved sort of thing. Uh, well, it, we got through that committee. Its report was not followed up by the chancellor, fortunately. But last Friday, we learned the committee, zombie-like, has re-embodied itself now as a fiscal sustainability committee, pretty much a lot of the same people, and they've made all the same proposals, even though they don't actually save any money, as they, as they admit in their own report, but they're going to try once again to reorganize arts and sciences and get rid of three departments and change this and change that. Um, it's uh, a never-ending struggle. One would think a department like history would be relatively secure. We, we've hung on since Thucydides reasonably well, uh, but uh, the battle never ends. There are always people who will think, no, we must have a strong program in criminal justice or hospitality management, but history, eh, who needs it? Uh, we'll come out on top. Uh, we'll survive. We'll, we'll continue to teach history and write books, and uh, I'm confident of that. And we'll continue to bring you Civil War Talk Radio. We've got a good show tonight and a good one Next week, Corey Recco will talk with us next week about Timothy Webster, a spy for the Union. Following that, uh, Union General Gordon Granger's biographer Robert Connor will be here. Then on April 23rd, James Conroy with a book about the Hampton Roads Peace Conference of 1865. On April 30th, uh, Catherine Meyer has a new take on the war, a book called Nature's Civil War, Common Soldiers and the Environment in 1862, Virginia, in the month of May. Uh, now that the show is no longer uh, going on on Friday afternoons, I don't have to take a break for commencement when I'm giving that commencement speech to our department. So we'll have four shows, well, at least three in May. Linda Barnacle uh, with her story of the Battle of Milliken's Bend, Bjorn Skapson of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop, and also a leader of Battlefield Tours at Shiloh on May 14th. Michael C.C. Adams, known to many of you for his book on uh, the Army of the Potomac uh, some decades ago, has a new book on the dark side of the Civil War called Living Hell. 
On May 28th, that's Memorial Day week, I'll be off to see my older daughter graduate uh, from Bowdoin College, assuming the grades hold up one more semester. So probably no show that week. But on June 4th, we'll be back. Rachel Sheldon has a new book called Washington Brotherhood that looks at politicians north and south before the Civil War, uh, how they got along before they started fighting. It's an interesting premise. So lots going on. You can follow it, as always, at www.impedimentsofwar.org, where Mark Gaffney tells you what's happening in the Civil War talk radio world. One more bit of news on that front. Uh, The Lincoln books are about exhausted. Thank you to everyone who contributed to the show's book fund and received a copy of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? But I learned today that All for the Regiment has been reissued as a paperback. So uh, if you enjoy hearing my voice so much that you must also read what I've written, uh, All for the Regiment, the Army of the Ohio, 1860-61, can be yours, not directly from me, but buy it through Amazon. Go to the impedimentsofwar.org website. Use the Amazon link that you will find there uh, to get to that website. And you can get a copy of All for the Regiment uh, direct from there from whatever price it may be. But it's back in print as a paperback. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the paperback copy looks like myself in a few days. Uh, if they, they will send me one. So, lots going on. Uh, you can also just send money here without getting anything in return. I was delighted to receive a generous contribution from a, a listener who said it could be used for uh, uh, cigars, strong drink, even wagering on cat juggling, which brought back fond memories of a, a, a decades-old Steve Martin movie. Uh, so whatever, uh, send me your money. I'll use it for whatever. It's not tax deductible. But uh, most of all, listen to the show. That's that's, uh, And send me your ideas for new guests on the show. They're always welcome. Always glad to hear about who you would like to hear from. And as one of you pointed out last week, you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from the guest. So let's get on with it. Today, Robert I. Girardi uh, joins us to talk about the Civil War generals, comrades, peers, rivals, in their own words. Mr. Girardi, are you there? I am here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm flattered uh, to, have to be aboard. Well, it, it's, uh, it's good to have you. We, uh, I, I sent you an email reminder this morning and, and learned when we talked briefly uh, that you're normally working on, on the night shift. So I often ask people, well, what's your day job uh, <laughs> when you're not writing? So let me ask you, what's your night job? I am a Chicago homicide detective. Ah, so I'm, suddenly I get nervous, even though I've never committed a homicide. <laughs> well, just remember, uh, anything you say can be used against you. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to, to yeah, you, certainly you not forget. actually sent the email about an hour after I'd gone to bed, so... Wow. It was all good. I, I knew that I was supposed to be on, so I was well, ready. Delighted to have you here. Uh, immediately, the, the question comes to mind, any connection between your, your line of work and your interest in the Civil War? Or how did you come by your interest in the Civil War? Well, I, I grew up in the 1960s, so uh, during the centennial, and I've always been, I can't think of a time when I have not been interested in the Civil War. But uh, other than the parallel nature of historian detective 
there's really no connection except the police department paid for my master's in history. <laughs> ah, well, good for them, a forward-thinking department to do that. <laughs> well, they have um, a tuition reimbursement program, and it, 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 it worked out. Well, well, we all benefit from that. That, that is good to hear. So, um, in Chicago, you're involved with the, the Civil War Roundtable there, I understand, and, and Chicago is, is chapter number one, is the mothership of the, the Roundtable movement. Uh, do you attend it often? Oh, yes. Uh, I, rarely, I rarely miss. Uh, I was president of it, uh, oh, almost 15 years, 20, almost 20 years ago. God, it's longer than I think. But uh, I've been a member of that uh, since uh, 1981. And and you've been recognized with the, the Nevin Freeman Award. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, obviously, uh, the award is uh, named in honor of uh, Ellen Nevins and Douglas Southall Freeman, the two uh, preeminent uh, Civil War era historians. And the award is given out annually by the Roundtable uh, in recognition of scholarship and service to the Roundtable movement. And I was uh, honored with that a, a few years back. Well, it, it's uh, well deserved, no doubt. The, the roundtable movement is really uh, a wonderful thing, and my colleagues in, in the history department, when I tell them about it, are envious that there is such a network of people willing and eager to meet with others and invite speakers to talk about a historical topic. Uh, and they're not being paid to do it. They're not getting a grade for it. Uh, we're doing it because we're interested. It's a, it's a great thing. Yes, love, love of the game. And actually, next year will be the 75th anniversary of the Roundtable Movement. Uh, and again, starting in, in Chicago, as I, if I recall correctly, that was where, where it all began. Yep, in the uh, Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. Yeah, for which we'll have uh, Dan Weinberg has been on the show a couple times, and and uh, the proprietor there, and and uh, I see you're having Bjorn uh, in a few weeks. Bjorn Skaptesen. Right, it, you know him, I, I imagine. Yes, I do. I saw him at the uh, at a history conference in uh, Charleston, Illinois, last weekend. Uh, it, one of the things I enjoy about this whole field is the the sort of small world aspect. It, uh, I, Michael Weeks was on the show earlier this year. He's written some travel guides, and he works in Chicago. Have you ever crossed his path? Oh, sure. He's uh, a member of the Chicago Roundtable as well, and uh, his books are uh, well known to me and anybody that likes to to tramp over the battlefields. They're they're a necessity to have in your car when you travel. They are. They they are really excellent uh, travel guides. I've certainly enjoyed them. So well, we uh, updated every few years uh, because. Mm-hmm. Play- uh, addresses and contacts become obsolete over time. So, uh, well, let's. Um, I want to ask you, obviously, uh, about uh, this book, Civil War Generals, and uh, but I'm I'm dancing around it because there's so many other things in your background that that are are you know fascinating to learn about. The uh, you've written uh, other books about the Civil War, battlefields, or. Uh, uh, other topics. Well, tell us about what else you have uh, going. Yeah, uh, the Civil War Generals is my ninth book, but I've done a number of editing uh, Civil War uh, generals or soldiers memoirs, uh, the memoirs of uh, General John Pope uh, that I co-edited with Peter Cousins. 
whom I believe you've had on your program. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, the memoirs of uh, an Illinois general, William Passmore Carlin, who was uh, a nephew of a governor of Illinois, uh, colonel of the 38th Illinois, and he led a division uh, in Sherman's army uh, and took the brunt of the fighting at Bentonville. Um, an Illinois soldier, uh, Lyman Whitney in the 34th Illinois, who fought through all of all of the campaigns of the Army of the Cumberland and went out to the march to the sea and through the Carolinas. Uh, I did a number of books with uh, the artist Keith Rocco, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, the Soldier's View is a, uh, a look at the war through the quotes of soldiers of both sides, uh, given uh, their experience throughout the war against the backdrop of his paintings. Then I did a book uh, called Gettysburg, in art and artifacts with Keith, and that is using uh, his paintings and artifacts from the display of the museum at the Gettysburg Visitor Center, an overview of the battle, but highlighting the personal stories of participants in the battle as opposed to uh, a scholarly study of the battle. But I, I like the fact that I and that that I can cover both. The scholarly nature, as well as the popular, and try to reach all audiences. Well, there's some great, uh, great material there. The, the publication of memoirs is one of the great services anyone uh, can provide because it does bring that primary source out where where we can all get at it. Which again is what you've done here with the Civil War generals. Uh, what we'll do now is take a, a short break and come back in just a minute and talk uh, about this book, how you came to the idea, how you uh, found these quotes uh, which, and, and decided which quotes uh, to, to go with in particular. So we'll do that. We'll come back in just a minute. We're talking today with Robert I. Girardi. He's the author of The Civil War Generals, Comrades, Peers, Rivals, In Their Own Words. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Terry Prokopovich talking today with Robert I. Girardi, author of The Civil War Generals, Comrades, Peers, Rivals in Their Own Words, also the author of uh, eight other books, but this is one we're uh, discussing this evening. It's a collection of quotations from Civil War generals about other generals. Uh, it sounds like a, a gossip fest, uh, uh, Rob, if we can, can we go by first name? Do you go by Rob, yes, Robert, Bob, uh, and Robert call me Jerry, Rob. please? I, I don't go by Bob. That, gotcha, um, Rob. Tell me about uh, how, how did you come up with the idea to to do this, and how did you go about it? Okay, well, it's it, it's kind of uh, a little convoluted, but I can keep it simple. Uh, as you know, uh, reading about Civil War generals, you read a biography or you read a campaign study, and as each general is introduced, often you get a thumbnail. Uh, biographical sketch of that person. Well, I, I was fortunate enough to be involved in working on John Pope's memoirs and uh, William Passmore Carlin's memoirs, but I also got engaged to co-author a biography of General Governor Kemble Warren. And during my research uh, and writing of that, and that's a forthcoming book, uh, reading the descriptions of what people wrote about him you wonder if they're talking about the same person. And too often, many of the sources that we use rely upon the same tried-and-true quotations. So I started digging a little deeper. And as I did, I found a wonderful uh, trove of quotations from generals about other generals, and I decided to work that into a presentation for one of the roundtables. But as I continued to look, I found so many quotations that I decided that there's enough here for a book. And so then I started actively seeking out uh, generals who wrote memoirs or letters that have since been published and uh, started delving into those to find these quotations. And that led me to include also some staff officers and a few war correspondents, and politicians always manage to work their way in. But I thought that Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln ought to have a fair shake. And so what I found was 
amazing quotations. Many of them, I mean, the ones that I decided to use are in sources that the general readership can find without having to travel to an archival repository. Otherwise, this would be a 48-volume work. Uh, I wanted something that could be readily checked uh, at somebody's fingertips, uh, but give you a in many cases, various views of the same individual from different perspectives, because if it's a pro or a con description, which one describes the real man? Well, both do, according to the source, but according to the onlooker, and this is where being a detective helps, two people look at things from a different perspective. Both could be telling the truth, but that doesn't mean they say the same thing. That I mean that that's something historians encounter all the time, and and I mean, detectives must also that, that uh, lawyers certainly do. You, you get multiple accounts of the same thing, and they're not none of them are untruthful, but they're very different. Were there any? Who did you come across? The, you recall being particularly uh, uh, you know bipolar in that sense, where you found people who just said this is this guy's the greatest, and others who thought he was the worst general. Uh, well, well I mean, army. you have, uh, like, Joe Hooker, for example, is mm-hmm. somebody that people, his admirers loved him, his detractors despised him. Warren is the same way. Uh, people either loved Warren or despised him. Uh, the people who despised him are, uh, maybe not too surprisingly, the people who are instrumental in his downfall, <laughs> uh, who, who sought to justify what they did. But uh, people like McClellan. Uh, somebody like Phil Carney thought McClellan the biggest traitor uh, in, in history. Other people thought McClellan was, you know, the best that you could hope for. Uh, there, there are some, and, that, and that's what makes it fascinating because you can't just choose one description of these men. Uh, you have to look at both what their peer, what their peers thought about them, but both pro and con because the truth is somewhere in the middle. Well, when you mentioned Hooker, I'd like flip the page open to the Hooker section, and there's, you know, a quote from uh, from General Warren, who, who you're writing about, and he says, "General Hooker is in every respect a soldier, and I know him well. Under him, the army will succeed if under anyone." The next quote is a negative quote about Hooker. Hooker, I'm afraid, has been too wicked a man to succeed. But that's also by Warren. It's the same right. guy who. Uh, and, and, how, and how do you how do you reconcile? <laughs> which which quote is the correct one, Jerry? Well, as you say, I guess it depends when when they're issued, uh, what the circumstances are. You have to know the whole context, right? Um, and that's and that's uh, one of the things that I did uh, was to provide the source and a page mm-hmm. so that people wanting to, unfortunately, the quotes had to be lifted out of context, and mm-hmm. also, unfortunately, the best way to understand them is in their full context. Uh, because the underlying relationships between these people uh, is part of what uh, provokes uh, the comments. But Warren uh, was raised to uh, chief engineer of the Army of the Potomac by Hooker, and during the Chancellorsville campaign was his eyes and ears, and some would argue his brains, and uh, afterwards uh, thought less of him when he saw him fail uh, from a lack of will, uh, owing in, in some part to his injury. But, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, people's opinions change over time. Uh, this book strikes me as one that's really well-suited to uh, the people who are listening to us talk right now because 
it does rely on you know knowing something about who these these people are. You made a good point about how a lot of books. Uh, a battle or campaign book will introduce a character, then there will be a paragraph or two of background raised here, went to West Point there, served in Mexico then, did this before the war, now here and there. And it becomes sort of perfunctory. Uh, Here, there's there's no introduction uh, at all. uh, Yeah. Well, the assumption is we all know who Governor K. Warren is. Well, And I think everybody listening to the show already does. Well, and, and you know, and that, and that's something uh, having uh, maybe grown up in civil war dumb, uh through the roundtable movement. Mm-hmm. I've been surrounded by people who have a certain level of knowledge, and I, I believe that a writer should not only know his audience but have some respect for what they know and, and what they bring into. Uh, when they open the pages of a book. They're there for a reason, and it's not just idle curiosity. Some people are really devotees of the subject and are more expert on one particular aspect than anybody else could ever hope to be. And I have a respect for that, and so I assume, and maybe that's a problem, but I assume that they have a certain level of knowledge and that I can take that as a given. And then I go from there. I, and I think you can. Uh, certainly there's a large, knowledgeable audience out there for Civil War material. And it is sort of refreshing. As, as I'm paging through this, uh, you know, looking at the, the different people, it, it's, it's not a reference work like Generals in Blue by Warner that, that most of us have referred to at some point, uh, or Generals in Gray by the same author, where you want to know who was Orlando Poe. You go look him up. Here, you know, there's this, there's Orlando Poe, Major General, and uh, then you've got a description of him by another general who, again, in this case, I'm, again, I'm picking one at random that I have it open to, Jacob Cox describing Orlando Poe. I'm guessing a fair number of people listening know who both of those guys were, and uh, the many others have heard of one or the other, and all of them know where to find out more. Whereas, uh, and that would be true of your your roundtable audience, but it wouldn't be true of, of just the general reader. So you really have, uh, uh, I think you've identified your audience and, and you're providing a real service here. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I well, one of the things that, that I found uh, really intriguing was how how reasoned some of these opinions are. And, 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 and keep in mind that while, while the reader today, even the, the casual reader, even some, some roundtable members uh, type or, or Civil War, I hate the word buffs, uh, mm-hmm. might, might be aware of like commanding generals and corps commander, even division or brigade level, but then when you get down uh, to some of the more obscure names, may not, uh, may not recognize them. But I thought it was a service to, to let those people have uh, a place in this work as well. To make this somewhat comprehensive, uh, I looked through any number of sources, and there's more than uh, there were about a thousand generals in the war who rose to command level of a brigade or higher, and more than 400 of them are represented in this book. Was there any sort of rule of thumb where you decided who who's in and who's out? Uh, availability number one. I, I did use some methodology in uh, deciding what to use and what not to use. 
th- there were many, many uh, references made, like, for example, if, if a general is writing home to his wife or to his, you know, a family member, he may refer to his commander or his subordinate in a one-line reference. Uh, you know, uh, so-and-so is, is an idiot, for example. Uh, I, I didn't include things that weren't uh, more substantive than that. Something that was clearly just a eulogy for somebody that had been killed uh, mm-hmm. without adding anything else uh, that was just meant as uh, perfunctory praise I tried not to use. Uh, but other than that, it was, it was fair game. Uh, I tried to use sources that were published at one time, if, if not currently, and not just things that are in hidden away in archival repositories, because again, these are listed out of context, and I wanted an interested reader to be able to readily find the source in its entirety. Uh, to go through archives, uh, again, this would be, you know, take three lifetimes to do mm-hmm. and, and would never uh, get done. So uh, using those as parameters, uh, I then expanded it a little bit to allow staff officers as the general's official family and sometimes uh, somebody like Theodore Lyman or Reporter Alexander uh, uh-huh. have wonderful uh, insights into the, the commanding generals and, and some of the newspaper correspondents, uh, whether they were uh, friendly or not, like somebody like uh, Sylvanus Cadwallader, <laughs> whose parents uh-huh. must not have liked him very much to give him that name. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, could be very pernicious with people they didn't like. But I thought that that's what people were reading about in the day, and so those were worthwhile. And then, of mm-hmm. course, somebody like Gideon Wells or Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis uh, also uh, uh, expressed opinions on occasion, and so I tried to include them as well. But the, the main thing was uh, accessibility to somebody who wanted to know more without having to travel to... Uh, Mm-hmm. a university library or a state archive somewhere and go digging. Well, you mentioned if, if somebody just casually writes a, a line, you know, General so-and-so is an idiot, that that doesn't make the cut. Uh, but in the description of uh, one that, that struck me, uh, John Beatty's work, The Citizen Soldier, which is a, a wonderful memoir, uh, he describes Alexander McCook uh, as a uh, said as a chucklehead, uh, I, I quoted that in all for the regiment, and so I was curious. So I looked him up. See, and I see you use that. You have another quote of Beatty on that, McCook. That, that quote is, I mean, the, the, that that it, quote is in the chapter that I call composite quotes, where mm-hmm. where the the writer is referring to a number of individuals, and so uh, that's just one part of a larger quote that really describes the hierarchy of the Army of the Cumberland. Yes, and, and Beatty was such a good writer, it's hard to resist that. But he also says about McCook uh, in, in another section here uh, that uh, McCook looks, if possible, more like a blockhead than ever, and it is <laughs> astonishing that he should be permitted to retain command of a corps for a single hour. And the thing about it, I was in a committee meeting earlier this week, and without naming any names, I won't say which committee <laughs> or who it was, but... There was a colleague, not in this department, not a historian, but somewhere else on campus, and I thought, this person's barely intelligent enough to breathe. Uh, <laughs> how on earth do they teach classes and and, and function? And uh, and there's McDowell, uh, and there's Beatty saying this about McCook. Uh, it's astonishing that he should be permitted to command for a single hour. Uh, so that offhand is just a f- favorite of mine, um, 
did you oh i'll put it out that way what did you find some favorite quotes that you just just could not oh, yes. and, and, wait and, to put and, in there and, and some and some that i some that i find really revealing tell more about the writer than they do mm. about the subject of the writing and, and one of my favorites is mcclellan's assessment of robert e lee when when lee ascends to command of the army of northern virginia and if you have the book in front of you, it's on page 233, and McClellan says, I prefer Lee to Johnston. The former, meaning Lee, is too cautious and weak under grave responsibility. <laughs> and, mm. and he goes on, and it seems as if uh, had McClellan turned his insight onto himself, he might have been closer to the mark. Yes, likely to be timid and irresolute in action. Uh, <laughs> it really, really holding up a mirror, uh, practically. It's <laughs> astonishing. I mean, well, the, if, uh, somebody would guess if they if they knew that the quote was about Lee and McClellan would think that it was Mc, Lee writing about McClellan and not the other way around. Lee was a pretty good judge of character. When Meade, for example, took command, Lee was was quite. Uh, he said he will make no mistake in my front or something to that effect. Right, right, and and he had a respect for for uh, not only Meade's. Uh, uh, professionalism, but his, uh, you know, uh, he was an engineer, as as was Lee, and I think they had a mutual respect, in, if only in that regard. Engineers tend to be a little more careful in the way they do things, and I don't think that takes away from um, from being aggressive at all, which is the uh, uh, the stereotypical uh, strike against engineers taking command. Mm-hmm. Well, one another, of the, another great subject is yeah. Butterfield or Sickles in, in the comments ah. written, written about them. There's some great quotes about Butterfield uh, that you, you just can't uh, you can't help but laugh. That uh, when I opened it, uh, it, it's a book that you you page through. And listeners, when you get yourself a copy of this, I think you may treat it the same way. Uh, you could read it straight through. The, the generals are listed alphabetically. But it's much more tempting to page through and and find people you already know something about or are curious about. And so Dan Sickles is sort of an automatic one, uh, one of the most colorful characters of the war. And uh, and sure enough, there are some folks who didn't think very highly of him. Uh, But Butterfield, the same. I'm I'm paging through right now uh, uh, to see what we have here on uh, Dan Butterfield. There's Ben Butler. He's got a substantial section. Uh, people had opinions about him, and he had uh, really good opinions about others as well. <laughs> yes, he he was not shy. So Butterfield, the first one I look at, the that lying little knave. He's one of the most corrupt, scheming, lying scoundrels. <laughs> uh, from Alexander Webb, uh, it, it's. There really is a, and I said this at the beginning of the show, so almost a, a gossipy, backbiting kind of flavor to some of this uh, that and, is and irresistible. What, and and I, I think that's somewhat unique with, with the Civil War compared with uh, with other wars throughout history because these guys grew up together. They went to school together. They served alongside each other uh, for many years, and, and that's what my, my introduction sort of deals a little bit with with the nature of that relationship and, and how these guys were able to take the measure of one another early on in, you know, maybe while they were cadets at West Point. But some of those first impressions, and, and my original title for the book was General Impressions of the Civil War, but the, the publisher is better at selling books than I am, and so we changed <laughs> it. Uh, 
but but because it was these generals' impressions of each other, mm-hmm. and uh, some of those were lifelong. Uh, you know, once you know, people say first impressions are lasting, and and I think in in this instance, uh, it's certainly true, and, and it's sort of unique because. These long-lasting friendships, they saw each other under stress. They saw each other in long, boring uh, service on the frontier or at a fort somewhere. And so, you know, Joe Hooker lost his nerve playing poker. Therefore, of course, he wasn't going to stand up under the stress of battle. Or so what if John Pope is a braggart and a liar? All the popes were. The whole family was that way. <laughs> you know, Grant resumed his uh, former bad habits. Uh, Halleck knew what what uh, McClellan would think when he got that dispatch. Grant was a drunk, and he was drinking. They, they, so they can they, make these snap judgments and know that the recipient of of the message would get it. Well, we're going to get it uh, right now as we get a short break here, and we'll come back and talk more with Robert I. Girardi, author of The Civil War Generals. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. It's Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking this evening with Robert Girardi, author of The Civil War Generals. It's a collection of quotations from generals about other generals, uh, praising their friends, uh, sometimes praising their enemies, sometimes critiquing their friends and enemies, sometimes just being uh, catty and... and, uh, mean, sometimes uh, generous, it's all, all kinds of things, a whole realm of uh, human interaction here. Uh, Rob, in putting these quotes together, 
did you change your mind about anyone? Did you find stuff that surprised you? I, you know, I, I found uh, I've, I've always been fascinated in a lot of the work that that I've done and that I'm, I'm things that I'm working on, studying the relationships between these commanders and the nature of Civil War command. And it, what what really impressed me was the respect uh, that some of them had for their enemies. Uh, and, and you can tell from you can tell from the nature of some of the quotes, uh, uh, even if you don't know the, the relationship between the men, that sometimes it's genuine and sometimes it's somewhat contrived, or there's uh, there's a hurt or uh, an ulterior motive behind what's being expressed. But as far as uh, uh, like seeing the the depth of uh, it's easy to bash certain generals like Braxton Bragg or mm-hmm. uh, McClellan or, or some of these others. Joe Hooker is always uh, a good target. When you see the amount of respect that others had for them uh, in their positions, it's, it's kind of an eye-opener. And it's made me, in uh, my co-author on the, on the Warren biography that, that uh, is coming out later, uh, we decided not to put in these uh, superficial character sketches in the book. Because mm-hmm. I think it's a disservice. Well, the uh, it, I was looking uh, for some particular uh, people having an interest in the Army of the Ohio, Army of the Cumberland, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I started there, and one person I, I didn't find uh, was was Charles Gilbert, who, of course, is not actually a general, right? But right. was bri- and that's briefly why, and that's elevated. Why he wasn't included. That, okay. That's why he was not included, because uh, during Perivo, when he was commanding uh, the corps that Carlin mm-hmm. was in, uh, uh, it was found that, I mean, uh, Horatio Wright appointed him, and that appointment was never confirmed by the president or the Senate. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I limited this by necessity to people that were actually, uh, I hate to say, real generals. Well, but just just to push on that, uh, William Woodruff uh, is in here, and and Carlin says about him, uh, for some reason he claimed to be a brigadier general. I told him I didn't believe he was a brigadier general. For two months he exercised the command of a brigadier general, but after Stones River it was discovered he was neither a brigadier general or an officer of any grade. Uh, so the army of, of Cumberland seems to have been afflicted with these sort of masquerading officers who put on a star and, and uh, parade around right. as generals. Nobody knows who they are. Uh, I, I think a lot, a lot of that happened uh, uh, during the turmoil in, in the, the late summer and fall of 1862 with mm-hmm. uh, the invasion of Kentucky, and that's where uh, your buddy... Uh, Don Carlos Buell gets into some trouble, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm happy to hear that your book is coming out in paperback, because I'm, I'm looking at it right now on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> One of my prize books is very little written about the Army of the Ohio, uh, and, and Buell runs into that trouble, and with Jefferson Davis killing Bull Nelson, there's a couple of vacancies in the command level, and that's how people like... Uh, like Gilbert and Woodruff and others uh, managed to, and I hate to say masquerade, they're appointed, they're just mm-hmm. not confirmed. 
Uh, right. and, and well, some well, of those uh, appointments are a little on, on shaky ground in, in their legitimacy, even at uh, at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. I mean, when, when Wright appoints Gilbert, generals can't appoint other generals. That, that's a political function, not a right. He can, uh, he can name him. He can he can give him the command, but then he has to wait for it to be approved. Right. Right. So, um, well, while we're talking about books, uh, nice of you to, to say a kind thing about All for the Regiment. Uh, who else do you like to read? Who who are the authors that you find uh, particularly interesting who are writing today? Oh, uh, among uh, contemporary authors, uh, there's there's a number. There's, there's some very good uh, uh, anthologies of essays coming out. Uh, Stephen Woodworth and uh, his fine series on uh, the Western Army's uh, uh, Larry Hewitt, another uh, Chicago Roundtable member with his Civil War generals in the Western Theater and in the Trans-Mississippi, I think is doing great service in allowing uh, uh, new scholarship on small, otherwise unlooked at uh, uh, aspects of these campaigns. Timothy Smith, I think, is a, a fabulous writer and uh, bringing uh, his, his books on Shiloh and Corinth and, uh, and uh, Vicksburg. Earl Hess. I think he's done magnificent work with his studies of Civil War fortifications as well as uh, the Civil War in the West and the Knoxville campaign. Uh, <laughs> those are just off the top of my head. Uh, it, it, interesting. You, you mentioned all people writing about the Western theater, which is, is uh, also a particular interest of, of mine. Do you see Civil War historiography you know, took, taking a stronger look at the West than maybe was done 20 years ago? Yeah, I, I I think it's due. Uh, too long, I think, uh, people get caught in that corridor between Washington and Richmond. And, and although there's some fine scholarship, uh, Gordon Ray's books on the Overland Campaign, for example, uh, and, and some other studies, uh, 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 Frank O'Reilly with the Park Service and his books on Fredericksburg and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and other campaigns. Uh, these are great works, but... I'm I'm from the West. I believe the war was won in the West, so I am biased a little bit. And I think uh, authors like uh, uh, Pete Cousins and uh, uh, Thomas Connolly and and some of the others uh, started opening up uh, the eyes uh, to Civil War historiography of the importance of uh, the campaigns in the Western theater. Uh, of course, the war was two fronts, three if you count the Trans-Mississippi, which I think is a mistake to discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all, they all play a, an integral role. It's like Lincoln said when Grant took command uh, of the armies and all were to operate simultaneously. One can hold the leg while the others do the skinning. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no theater could operate independently without the cooperation or or not be affected by what was uh, taking place in those other theaters. But for me, the West is, is a favorite. That's why it was almost, uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to say an aberration, but for me to look in depth at somebody like uh, General Warren, who is a corps commander in the East, was uh, I was the outsider looking in. And, and I think uh, in some ways that, that helped me. Mm-hmm. So... Where do you see interest in the Civil War going from here? From your perspective with the roundtable, with the, an active group, you, Dostrak also mentioned you're involved with the Salt Lake uh, 
Fall Creek uh, Civil War Roundtable, I should say. Um, uh, what do you? Well, one compl- not a complaint, but a, a concern people often raise is that uh, those of us who are interested in the war, who attend the roundtable meetings, are getting older, and there's not uh, you know, the interest in the war will will fade away as each generation uh, you know, ages. Do you see new people coming in? Do you see any risk of, of the hobby, the interest, the you know, students it, graying? It, it, it's interesting because, uh, for example, the, the Chicago Civil War Roundtable, the, the granddaddy of them, uh, mm-hmm. membership has waned. Accessibility in downtown Chicago on a Friday night in a hotel becomes problematic, mm-hmm. both with uh, the time it takes to get there and the cost of doing it. Uh, and the regeneration of new members is a little short. But in, in some of the outlying roundtables, like you mentioned the Salt Creek Roundtable, there are a number mm-hmm. of high school age or college age uh, kids who have just joined. Uh, some of the roundtables, like the Atlanta Roundtable, uh, is a vibrant one. They have a waiting list for membership. Uh, really? My co-author on the Warren book, Paula Walker, and I, when we were doing research in Philadelphia, went to the Harrisburg Civil War Roundtable, and seven new members joined the roundtable on the night that we were there. <laughs> and they had those, almost a standing room-only crowd. So I, I think the audience varies. It, there's, there's many factors, and those of us who are in the hierarchy of the roundtable sit there and you know, pull our hair out and trying to figure out what we're doing wrong or what we should be doing right to, to bring it. But then I'll, I'll go to a library or a historical society. Uh, last Monday in one of the uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago, 107 people came to hear me talk. Now, mm. one of them was a Civil War Roundtable member. So the interest is out there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think programs such as yours, and, and there are a lot of like apps for cell phones or computer or, or video People can go to the battlefields and, and, and stand there and look at a map on, on their uh, iPad or their iPhone and, and have uh, interactive maps unfurl this in front of them, which a generation ago would have been unheard of. Uh, and, and so I, I think the roundtables are almost uh, uh, a thing of the past in some ways. But not in others, as long as you know the, the tried and true carry the torch. But but there are so many other alternatives that I mm-hmm. think people reach out to what's immediately accessible without feeling compelled to join something. Mm-hmm. And and but that that social interaction is certainly a big part of it. I spoke to a, a roundtable in North Carolina a, few, a couple months ago that had uh, hundreds of members. It was, it was by far the largest one I'd ever seen or heard of uh and but it's in a, a community where people uh, tend to retire nice coast area nice weather uh and and the average age was was pretty high but it was growing enormously so uh, i guess maybe both things could be happening at once you can grow and not be getting younger but it is good to hear about uh, younger members joining right and and again for for me i, I think the social 
element of the roundtables is really at at the heart of it because what good is knowledge if you can't share it if you can't argue over you know the what if or or mm-hmm. the, the qualities of this general versus that general uh, in uh, you know in particular on a given day uh, and that's what makes it fun I can't think of uh, what my life would have been in the last thirty some years uh, all of my friends are are people that I've met in the Civil War roundtable. Hmm. Well, it is it is a remarkable movement. It, it's uh, we're running short on time. Uh, it'd be interesting to talk sometime about the the governance of these organizations because, uh, as best I can tell, there isn't any. Uh, there's no central uh, authority that that runs it. Anybody can start one, and uh, right, uh, they, they all run on their own. Russell tried to. Uh, tried to at least provide an umbrella organization, the Civil War Roundtable Associates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when he was the voice in the wilderness uh, for the battlefield preservation movement, and uh, he's since passed on, but I think he'd mm-hmm. be gratified to see how strong that particular movement is. True. Well, it is a pleasure talking with you about the book. I see we're just about out of time, so we'll have to move on ourselves. But listeners... You will find this a fascinating uh, book uh, aimed aimed at the people listening tonight. Uh, it's called The Civil War Generals, Comrades, Peers, Rivals, in Their Own Words. The author is Robert I. Girardi. And Rob, it has been uh, a pleasure having you on the show this evening. I'm flattered, and I hope uh, you'll make room for me sometime in the future. Uh, happy to do that. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.